0: hello everybody. (laughs) Today I'd like to talk about the merging of the Heart Sutra with the Four Foundations of Mindfulness. Now these are the hallmark sutras of two different traditions that are some 1,500 years apart in time. And what's important to me is that we don't differentiate the wisdom contained in each as, well, that was what the Buddha really said. He didn't talk about the Heart Sutra. How do I know that's true? You know it's true because it works within you. You feel its truth. When you feel the truth of something, you don't need to... It could be a Christian truth, a Buddhist truth, an ancient Buddhist truth, a modern Buddhist truth. It doesn't matter. You see, what we're doing through all these... uh, we're clarifying the message of the Buddha through all this evolution of time. We're not changing the basic method, we're evolving it so that it becomes clearer and more contemporary, so that the current cultures can understand it in a more exact way, given their particular conditioning. And so what the prize is for us now is that they're arising together in time. And so you don't hold one as being essential and the other non-essential because they didn't arise together. They are arising together. And for us in this time and place, they are equally essential to listen to. And they're side by side. And in my sense, and when I sense the depth of both time and the timeless, when they arise together, there's a way in which they are meant to both inform us what's what i the hesitation I give you when we read these uh, substantial sutras is to impose or to get impatient with how much you know of them. and what sometimes happens with meditators is that they uh, infuse their imagination into these sutras and then they find the truth within their imagination given what the sutra is saying and then they start falsifying the view with which the truth of that sutra is pointing. For instance, we're talking about form and formlessness. And so you could get in there and say, "All oh, everything is empty and you start thinking and f- sensing as if things were empty when in fact in a realized way you don't realize that at all but you can you can feel as if your imagination knows that truth and then you can start proliferating out on that truth and suddenly hey it's all empty it doesn't matter what i do it doesn't matter whether i'm cause harm or not Does it matter because it's all empty? What does it matter? You can come to the logic of your own conclusions given the falsification of your imaginative response invested in the truth that's there. Listen, don't do that. (laughs) (laughs) It's not helpful and it will set you back considerably and it can really drive you, I won't say insane, but it can drive you to the limits of your Ability to tolerate. This is a realized truth. We're, we're talking about a rock, th- when we're talking about both of these sutras, we're talking about a rock thrown as far as you can see. And you go, I, I can't follow that trajectory. Well, its message really for us is patience. We are the painting, the painting, not the painter. If we were the painter, scribble away, get yourself fixed, and move towards the rock. But we are being fixed, we are being molded, we are being brought into the truth. And the truth is what transforms us, so don't hurry your steps towards that process. You can't rush a good painting. So, the Heart Sutra and the Four Foundations. The Heart Sutra stands as a monument to the wisdom of the Mahayana tradition. It's the most read, recorded, recited sutra by far in that tradition. And perhaps the most important. On the other side, are the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, the Satipatthana Sutra, which is really, arguably, one of the most... It's certainly a central teaching of the Buddha, if not the most important. So my question in writing or delivering this talk was to see if they... Overlap, if there's any way that the message of one carries forth and advances the message of the other. So, I was, uh, when I w- uh, was giving talks at the Seattle Insight Meditation, I did a number of talks, uh, some 40 talks, on the Satipatthana Sutra. And I hadn't yet blended or matched the two sutras together to see if there was any crossover although I certainly was aware of the Heart Sutra, but as I was speaking um, over those talks about the Four Foundations of Mindfulness, uh, what occurred to me was a whole different way of looking at the Four Foundations as opposed to the the commentary's response of how that sutra is to be studied and used. Uh, And, Uh, May I say that your, our, each of our interpretations of the sutra, if it fits, if it feels like a direction for you, take it. Don't wait for the commentary, the right commentary, to give you permission to take it. So I, in, in, uh, and just, and I didn't, uh, I really didn't study the commentaries. I didn't even really care much about them, but I could sense that something else was unfolding as I was giving these talks, that I had never heard before about the four foundations. And what I was hearing was that instead of the foundations being places to deepen your mindfulness, and there are four of them, which never, for me, which never made sense, why would the Buddha be talking, why would that be a sutra of importance? It just, yes, you know, get to know the body and the, you know, and feelings, et cetera. But how are they hooked together? Why would he give discourses on separate things to do? It doesn't make any sense to me. But as I was speaking about them, I saw how one led to the next and led to the next and led to the next. In an epiphany, I saw these are not disconnected foundations at all, but a central movement, forward, an implementation of a view. I thought to myself, okay, what is that view? The view, where is he taking us? Well, he's, he's showing us how form, when perceived in a correct orientation, becomes empty, formless. How something becomes nothing. And then the next foundation was how nothing becomes something. And then the next foundation was the way to hold the making of something and nothing within a meditative view. And then the fourth foundation, which I will talk about soon, flips the view entirely so that there is nothing, and I'm looking out on the world as it's creating something, and how to stay in the nothing as the world is being created in front of us. And I thought, my God, a heart sutra. So I went back and I read the heart sutra and I said, my God, that's what the heart sutra is saying, exactly that. Why are we keeping these things so far and separate apart? In fact, they they provide for each other. They add to each other. The heart sutra is a view. It establishes Prajna paramita—that is, prajna, wisdom, paramita, the perfection of wisdom. So it's not going to be approachable to those of us who are muddled in some wisdom and some ignorance. It's not—we're not going to necessarily understand the direction it takes. Yet, although, if you read it to any of us, it feels like, yeah. There's some truth here, you know, let me move, let me dedicate my practice in this direction. So it's a view, it's a direction forward. But it doesn't provide a way to implement that view, a way to actually move our realization towards that. It just gives us a mantra to recite, which didn't work for me at all when I was reading the Heart Sutra. And what the Satipatthana Sutta does that the Heart Sutra does not do is it takes up that view and step by step leads a progression and a direct and it doesn't have a direction to it because it doesn't go there. The Heart Sutra provides the direction of emptiness of form, emptiness and and virtually everything. The four foundations provide an implementation of the view of the Heart Sutra. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at those two sutras and we're going to try to bring them even closer together uh, so that in our heart we can read one and hear the other. So let me read the Heart Sutra. And again, we're laying out a view in this. right? So don't imagine what that means to yourself. Your imagination is what you already know. So you're you're locked into the frame of reference of your conditioning, and how could you possibly know what this is saying to you prior to the realization? All you can do is make it a crippled form of itself, an imaginative expression of itself, which is no expression at all, completely false expression. So, the Heart Sutra. When the Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara, who is the Bodhisattva of compassion the Chinese, it's Kuan Yin, was coursing in the deep Prajnaparamita, the perfection of wisdom, he perceived that all five skandhas are empty. The skandhas are equivalent to the aggregates in the Pali texts, thereby transcending all suffering. Sariputra, which is who Avalokiteshvara is speaking to, Form is not other than emptiness and emptiness not other than form. Form is precisely emptiness, and emptiness precisely form. He doesn't give you any escape. He doesn't he doesn't say well it's almost empty. He says this is precisely empty. So also are sensations, perceptions, volition, and consciousness. Those are the other aggregates. Sarputra, this voidness of all dharmas is not born, not destroyed, not impure, not pure, does not increase or decrease. And then he goes into a description of the void. Now, uh, let me just put in a definition of voidness that makes it more approachable. Awareness without form is void. Okay, It's like Uh, a colleague of mine says it in this metaphor. If you have your back to the sun, all you see is darkness. That's voidness. If a meteor, you still have your back to the sun, but if a meteor comes through that vision, you see the meteor, and that's consciousness. It lights up a whole display. So, Awareness with objects is consciousness. Awareness without objects is voidness. So voidness is black. It's, it, it seems uh, a lot, um, uh, uh, you can't really talk. It's prior to any manifestation. It's, it's from the void comes all expressions of form and formlessness. So, now he's talking about the voidness. In voidness, there is no form, and no sensations, perceptions, volition, or consciousness. No eye, ear, nose, tongue, body. Why? Because it's before manifestation. There is no realm of the eye, all the way to no realm of mental cognition. There is no ignorance, there is no ending to ignorance, there is no aging and death, there is no ending of aging and death, there is no suffering, no cause of suffering, no cessation of suffering, and no path out of suffering. Whew, I'm glad I didn't get stuck in that paragraph. There is no wisdom in any attainment. See, manifestation doesn't manifest as one thing as opposed to another. It manifests polarities. It manifests form we have form consciousness we have forms that we call body and side beside that is the infinite is the formless and the formless holds a completely different display of the universe it's timeless it's infinite it's spacious it's all alive for lack of a better word So the and you go how can one be true and the other be true there're two truths that are side by side and live together without contradiction when you live them both not when you decide which one you want to do they are lived side by side in non-contradiction and that's why There's no aging and death, and yet there is aging and death. There's no suffering, and yet there is suffering. There's no ending of ignorance, and there is aging and ignorance. You see? Those are two different perceptions of truth. With nothing to attain, bodhisattvas relying on prajnaparamita have no obstructions in their mind. Having no obstructions, there is no fear and departing far from confusion and imagining, we reach ultimate nirvana. All past, present, and future Buddhas relying on Prajnaparamita attain anuttara samyaksambodhi, unsurpassed, complete, and perfect enlightenment. Therefore know that Prajnaparamita is the great mantra of power, the great mantra of wisdom, the supreme mantra, the unequaled mantra, which is able to remove all suffering, it is real and not false, therefore recite the mantra of Prajna Paramita gate paragate parasam Bodhiswaha. so that I didn't I never could fit the mantra in with all the other things, but then I not long ago I said, I said, well, what does it mean? Well, it means gone, gone, gone beyond, gone even beyond the beyond. Bodhi, Bodhi, the awakened one, I bow to you. So what does that have to do, what what message is in there that is so extreme and superb and the best? Well, it's where the Buddhist teaching ultimately deciphers down into a single word. Release. Surrender. I'm saying the same word. I, I don't like letting go because there's somebody for me that's there letting go. So that's not the phrase I'm going to use. But surrender is not making anything of anything. That's really what surrender is. Surrender is surrendering our separation. And that, so he's distilled, or she or whoever wrote the sutra, is distilling the truth down into a single phrase into a single word in fact the Buddha says my whole teacher can be some teaching can be summed up by cling to not the same thing so I now understand deeper why the mantra is a reminder for those of us in form and how to release form by releasing form (laughs) it's it's an easy no it's not an easy the direction is simple and immediate don't complicate it there it is just do the mantra i mean do the mantra don't no 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 what mantra beads do it <laughs> release it release 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 see okay now the question is how does that when superimposed upon the four foundations, how does the four foundations hold that? Is that the is that the direction all these foundations are having? And that's what I saw when I was giving all those talks, was like, oh God, these things are not separate. Again, then I, it dawned on me that there was a sutra that <laughs> pointed in exactly that direction. So, the Heart, uh, Heart Sutra. Form is not other than emptiness, and emptiness is not other than form. And again, although I've said this to you a few times, I want to reassure you that uh, emptiness, me, another word that feels more approachable, at least it does to me, is thinking of emptiness as wonder. Mystery, that which cannot be conceived, that which cannot be understood that got my that that's like this instead of emptiness is like <laughs> see right. Just being quiet establishes emptiness. It's not something that you have to journey far from. If you're really curious or interested in something, you shut up. Because you're interested means you're going to learn. You're, you're full-hearted, open learning. Which is like that. Now that's the absence of me. When I'm like this and curious or interested in what's going on, I'm going to let it give me its story. I'm letting in its story, which is the right direction of emptiness. Emptiness is a, is an openness, not a closed container in which I am nothing. It's an openness to everything. And in order for that to happen, I have to get out of the way. <laughs> and then there's nothing to get out of the way of when I get out of the way. <laughs> So the world and myself vanish, sometimes into the complete void, where the world is, and I am not recognizable, and that in the Theravada tradition has its own system towards. But that's not the manifestation of that's not the way forward when you're informed. The way forward is that you put your back against the void and you let the expressions of form be both empty and full. Again, contradictory. And want the fullness, the completeness, the universality, the timelessness of the formed, formless, that which is formed, does not interfere. They, they exist side by side, which seems so ridiculous, but in fact, is the livable truth. Okay, so the first thing, the first obligation of the four foundations is to establish form and formless. So how do we do that in meditation? Well, we do that in, within our first instructions. We don't have any idea. They're so locked together, form and the formless, I have no idea about any of that. It's just, okay, I'm, I'm establishing attention. That's where I am. Don't talk to me about form and formless. I can't stay on the breath. That's my problem. <laughs> so I bring my attention to the breath. And over time, I begin to see that there are two things going on. There's attention... Which I seem to have control over, seem to have control over, and there's the breath, which is what I can see from looking at it. What I begin to notice as I place my attention upon an object is that that object starts revealing its hidden secrets, for instance, and their characteristics of all objects I perceive. They don't just stay with the breath. The breath doesn't take a lot of time to notice that it's changing because it's changing with each breath. But other aspects of form that we thought were solid, like the body, begin to realize, we begin to realize the same characteristic of impermanence. And the reason this is important is that it's, the form is starting to melt in front of our eyes. That's what impermanence is, is the melting of form. Form can't be sustained on its own. It needs my investment in it to perpetuate. And without my investment in it, it starts to it starts to disappear. And that's what we call impermanence. It's the disappearing of form in front of our eyes. And there's no way to make it absolutely rock solid, although we certainly try by building buildings and rocks and and putting something in front of us that doesn't seem to be changing at all but with some introspection and with some real curiosity you'll begin to see even those are even the substantial concrete elements in our lives are also in disillusion and you begin to realize that that's the nature now that the reason that's important even from step one is that it you stop enamored. You stop being enamored by something that's disappearing in front of your eyes. It's like, how, how satisfied is this going to be? And so, it begins the disillusionment of the satisfaction we have with objects. It's the very first step, and it's a very, it's a very light touch of wisdom. But it's there, and it's important. But what is Equally as important is that now I'm beginning to decipher or se- decipher or separate the attention awareness, and the reason I call it my attention is that I seem to be directing it, but it's the attention, not me, that I feel is the salvation, because when I have the attention focused on something, it reveals what that something is, and it starts that melting of that something, so that I become wiser about what it is that I'm seeing than I was prior to the seeing. When I take that attention and look at the mind, I become wiser as to what the mind is. And in fact, I can see that putting an eye onto mental processes means nothing. What am I doing that for? There's no eye in there. There's just a thought and an emotion. Where's the eye? So this begins to separate out form from that from the manifestations themselves. So the manifestations don't hold the eye, And so I look at the mind now as a process rather than as an entity of self, and I can use that as a base camp to move my wisdom forward. So those are very important insights, but equally important is the fact that there is the formations I see and that which sees. Because now we have a differentiation, a separation, and this is not the ultimate wisdom that form is different than, than uh, formless. It's that they're one and the same. So we've got some steps to go before we get to that. But at least the process is beginning to move in that direction and we're beginning to understand that there is a thing called formless, called seeing, and a thing called form, which is what is being seen. Great. So now we're we're often running on it. So, Now that we've got that much down, let's bring on the four foundations. So what's the first foundation? First foundation is the most personalized foundation, is the most personalized object in the world. The one that has a strong sense of personal possession, a strong sense of eye identification, probably our most treasured objects for some of us, some of us have so much self-loathing that we want no part of our bodies. But, other, but all of us realize, whether we have that loathing or not, is that we, we live here. <laughs> we've got we've to live with this. So we've got to change our attitude about it. If nothing else, hopefully much more. So, okay, so we start looking at the first foundation, which is the body. And we suddenly realize, or we can realize, if we're not just stuck into whatever the teacher is telling us to, you know, that's where being our own authority and where we want to look and the understanding that comes really is your own, because if you are a person that has a lot of psychological discomfort and you don't aren't oriented to even liking yourself or thinking you're in the right place or that you know, that you have a proper place in life at all, and so you're always looking up a, up a slope, up the hill, then this is a beautiful foundation to begin to turn that process around, if you allow it, and if you see the hidden meaning and what it means to have a body, and what it means to have a body means to have a body now. Yes, the body g- grows old. Here's an example. But it doesn't stop it's now In that sense, it doesn't grow old at all. It never left now. Never. Not once. Well, once I did. No, not once. <laughs> so, okay, so... Spend some time there if you feel like you need more solidity under your psychological feet. Because this assures you that your place in the world... Is there. Don't bring in, but I don't have to be here. Yeah, there's no, I don't, there's none of that time element. You are where you are, moment after moment, period, that's all. That's the story. A story of the moment is that you're here. That's the whole of the story. If you don't bring in, I don't deserve being here, or why am I here, or I should have, all of that, because that has nothing to do with anything. (laughs) <laughs> the whole story, literally, figuratively, factually, is you're here. Now you've got to own that psychologically. You have to absolutely know you're here and that you belong nowhere else, period. Now you see, if you'll do that with me as I'm speaking, you'll feel a different level of confidence. Confidence. A different level of steadiness, a different level of assurance of nothing this is not arguable. You don't ever look up and that the implications of that are huge, because we're always giving ourselves away to somebody else as being better than, more powerful than they have more to say than all of that. Here is equal representation to you're here, and you're here. It has an equal voice. And so we, that sense of self-ground, and that's what I mean by ground, the unarguable, that which in you is un-ar- without argument. Okay. And all the other stuff... All the other stuff... Remember, you saw that thoughts were not you. So then why are you now pretending that the thoughts are you and holding your head down? and Or the emotions aren't you? That was part of the wisdom, if you let it in, of seeing the mind free of the eye. So why are you eyeing it back? You see? Let that stuff go. I know it's a training to let it go. I'm not, I'm not saying it's not uh, a process of letting it go. But we hold on to it. We retain on it. And you know why? Because the deepest assumptions in you is that you are that person who doesn't deserve to be here. That's the assumption that early childhood training gave us, was that I, I don't have a place here in the world, for many of us. And, it, and when we do find our place, we're yelled at and we constantly feel inadequate to the moment that's here, and we carry that forward as a reminder that where we sit, we shouldn't really be. That's not going to go away, unless you are willing to face it. It will carry right on through your deepest insights until you're willing to go there and bring it up, and look at it, not asserting its truth, but just discovering the pain of the truth that once you held, because it's a historical infection that we have carried with us all along, and we keep infecting our children and our children's children and our children's 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 children. I am here is another message a child can learn. And I have a right to, an equal right to express what I express as you do to express yours. Not more, equal. And that's a different truth that can be passed to our children's children's children. And it's a lineage that we pass. So we have to do the, the hard work of bringing that up and looking at it and re-examining it, and, but not for, oh, I, when it comes up it comes up with such certainty that I am this person. The I am-ness of you as a psychological person is contained in that message of self-assumption. So when you see it, you go, oh my god, you lose your breath. Because you know that's you. You know that's you. And so it knocks you you back. But the wisdom of you, the wisdom, bring it on. Because it's grounded in the now. And it's not going to allow some infection that occurred decades ago to infect the now. The now stands un- uninfected by any bacteria, by any virus. The Buddha confirmed this by reaching down and with the certainty of touching the earth. Off. You're like a fly on the shoulder. So now, let us look at the body. We found our place on the earth and now we're ready for the body. Now we can really examine it and see what it is. Not with the uncertainty of all the things that come out of the body, because a lot of emotions and tied up psychological issues are in there, that as soon as we start examining, guess what, it starts melting, the knots that we have called our body start melting away just through the seeing of them and not adding more into it and they come up with the remembrance of the things that have happened to us or you know the weird contortions that people go in all of that locked up energy starts coming out and starts revealing itself and it starts melting we don't allow it to melt completely cuz we're we want to have a horse to ride <laughs> And so we, we, we invest more of ourselves into, well, yeah, I know where my legs are, my hands, this is this, so I have ten fingers, ten toes, I'm doing fine. Okay, back to, back to meditation. <laughs> we keep reasserting ourselves and build it back up. We will allow the melting to melt. You allow the melting to melt, it melts away, away. <laughs> it melts away. Blessed be the melting away. So, okay, so we are now looking at the body from the perspective of having known about it. That's where we sit down with the body and have, keep infusing the knowledge and memories we have associated with it. And maybe I can go to the area of pain and I can just, you know, watch it. And Maybe I can, my watching of it will satisfy the sore knee that needs to, ah, oh, no, no, no. And that does happen. I have many examples of that in my own life where deep ingrained issues I thought that were just part of my body's being vanished because I didn't keep supporting their reference to being true. In any case, that's not all that's not true of all problems of the body. It's true of some. Usually psychologically invested issues. But what does show what the body is, and then the Buddha adds this magical phrase, without knowledge or remembrance. Go into the body without knowledge or remembrance. Why would he say that? That's like, why would you say, Buddha, come over here, I want to have a talk with you. Why would you say that? <laughs> because the nature of the body changes without knowledge and remembrance. It becomes, you, We allow it to move my elevator of relaxation all the way down to the ground floor, we don't stop it on the second floor where I want to protect and continue myself within my body it 's just let 's see what this thing I, where it rests on the ground. what is it? Well, it loses shape well we say we still have sensations, but that's that's an invested meaning in what a sensation is, so if we just release the need to reinvest words back into whatever description the body now holds, it falls to the bottom floor. And what is that bottom floor? Well, I have only two more minutes, so it better be close. <laughs> that bottom floor is formless. Formless. And where? what does the I look like from the ground floor? Silent. Because the sense of I grows in proportion to the investment and in speech I give the objects. The objects arise in form from my investment of knowledge and remembrance, and so do I. Who's the holder of that knowledge? Me. So you can't have the knowledge arising without the holder of that knowledge arising. And I like myself being around, so I try to know everything about everything. Even gossip helps me. (laughs) Doesn't matter what direction it goes. (laughs) And suddenly we are on the path of the Heart Sutra. I don't know how I got here. Well, we got here because we listen to the truth of the Heart Sutra and applied the methodology to allow us to actually realize that. And now we're on our way. Form, the somethings of the world, are intrinsically formless than nothings. It changes something into nothing. And we have, the next talk we'll Move this train further down the track. Thank you for your attention. Can we be quiet for a minute or two? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit